0: All right, I'm just going to remind you, this is um, the final um, kind of sermon of this Something for Nothing series. Now, I started off the Something for Nothing series because I was prompted by someone um, who was asking, how do, we, how do we see the value in employees, those who are paid money to, to a business? How do, we, um, um, how, do we, how do we find that out? Well, it's very easy to find that out because if your company is making money, then you can kind of use some equations and work out what each employee is bringing to the, the company through feedback and evaluations and what have you. But when you're dealing with volunteers, it's a lot harder to um, uh, work out what kind of value they're bringing to the church or other or, or charitable organizations. And um, I, f- I felt God just kind of planted in my heart four things that, that help us uh, evaluate. Um, what a volunteer is bringing to an organization and what's a healthy volunteer, a good volunteer. And so the first week I talked about passion. Do you remember that? I talked about passion. The first thing that, well, I mean, I'm sure there are many, but one of the the four that I thought of was that that you you see passion. And it's very evident, a volunteer brings passion. The second week uh, was about teamwork uh, and that you, people are able to work well in a team. There's nobody jarring, there's nobody um, trying to lord it over anybody else. But they're, they're working out their position within that volunteer, voluntary association uh, or charity, whatever it is, and they are been able to work well in a team. Um, and then last week, when I talk about last week, can anybody remember? Commitment, commitment. Obviously commitment is a huge part of being a, a good volunteer in that you're not, you're not just committing when you are able, but actually it's going to involve some kind of sacrifice and, and, and your commitment needs to be, you know, mid to long term as well if you're going to make a real difference to that charitable organisation. So today I'm, I'm finishing now on the Something for Nothing series. I'm going to finish in talking about Initiative initiative now you'll see on your sheet there I've presented some questions space for notes on the back is is a, a, a quite a bit of scripture that I'm going to work through with you uh, and I'm going to base what I'm, I'm going to say this morning on that bit of scripture so when I get to that you can have you can you can follow with that and it's the new living translation is that one now from a very early point in my life I realized the power of asking questions there is a power in asking questions. And why did I realize there was power in that? Because more often than not, I got answers. If you ask a question, you quite often get an answer. If you ask no question, you get no answers. And there's that famous phrase, isn't The only stupid question is the question that's never asked. Okay. Uh, my favorite kind of book that I always asked for, for Christmas and for birthdays, uh, uh, was that kind that often had titles like this. A Thousand Answers to a Thousand Questions. Do you remember those kind of books? Did you ever see those? Did you ever them for few kids? Nobody else was? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, they're generally big, thick things. And, th- and they gave you questions to life's little puzzles. They gave you answers to questions you didn't even know you needed an answer for. Um, so things like, why do we not spin off the earth if it's moving so fast? Why do we not spin off the Earth? Its means. Why is the sun so hot? Um, what What are toenails made of? Uh, why do we cry? Why was I born ginger? You know those kind of those kind of questions. Okay, um, and, and, and I was the boy, I, I was the boy, and I, to an extent I still am, that always asked the questions that seemingly everyone else was too embarrassed to ask. You know, I just said that the only stupid question is the question not asked. Well, I tend to ask that, in quote stupid question. And asking questions without fear or hesitation enabled me to move on uh, on what I was doing or what I was planning to do. Asking questions didn't make me a bookworm, didn't make me a nerd, although I do indeed love reading lots and lots of books. It didn't make me an academic, but I do love to to learn. Asking questions actually created within me a person of action. So if I asked questions, it enabled me to do something with the answer to that question. I went on to discover that if I wanted to get stuff done, not only did I not have to shy away from asking questions but actually I had to learn to ask the right question the, the, the one that was appropriate for, for the moment and the, and the question that, that you know the kind of question the one that really gets to the, the bottom of the issue the question that, that lands the plane the question that enabled me to, to move on do, do you know what I mean by that it's, it's trying to find the, the chink in, in whatever it is you're talking about and discussing Go how, how can I get behind that and really get to the nitty gritty of what we're talking about now even saying all that, it doesn't mean that I don't like discussion. So I don't just like question and answers. I do, I do like discussion. Um, I, do, I don't like, um, I, I like to get stuck into a good debate. Anybody who knows me knows that I like to get into a really good debate about stuff. And, and, I, and I like to, opinions to be thrown around and facts to be thrown around. And you know, Just like confetti. Uh, and, and seeing what pattern they make when they land. I, I do like that. That kind of debate, that, that, that nice debate, that good debate, that one where you can appreciate and care that the other person might have an opinion that's different from you and opinions don't make facts. Do you know what I mean? Do, you, do anybody know what I mean there? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. But ultimately, all this is for a purpose. It's, it's to advance. It's to move forward. It, it's to further the mission. It's to execute the plan. It's, it's to get the job done. In other words, I like to take the initiative I like to start digging that proverbial hole as it were while those around me are still discussing what type of spade to use I just want to get started even if I have to use my my hands to start digging now yes there are moments in life where we taking a step back considering carefully and and having a good amount of time is necessary and it's absolutely correct but I'm not talking about that this morning I'm, not, I'm talking about taking the initiative and grabbing the bull by the horns, as it were. But it is important, I do want to stress, that sometimes it is good to step back and to consider and to take your time. But this morning, I want to encourage us that we can be a people of action uh, and independent thought. It, I just want to let you know that you can think for yourself, which is kind of ironic, me telling you that you can think for yourself. Um, that, that, we, that if we become a people of action, And if we're able to think for ourselves, we can change our city. We can change our nation. We can change our world in so many good and fruitful ways. So we're going to pull out of scripture a number of places where I think we see someone taking the initiative. And and, and the first we're going to read about led to the godly advancement of a nation. And it's the story of Rahab and how by saving two men, she saved herself and her family. And as we read it, like I said earlier, I'm going to point out out some, some things of interest as we go through it. Okay, you ready? It's good to read the word together, isn't it? Okay, then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israel camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men sat out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But some... Someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who've come into your house, for they have come to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I don't know where they're from. They left the town at dusk, and as the gates were about to close, I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Now actually, she'd taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she'd laid out. So the king's men went and looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing to the Jordan river and as soon as the king's men had left the gate of Jericho was shut Now it seems to me that that Rahab had to quickly think on her feet here. She, she didn't have time to work out a five-point plan. She didn't have time to step back and consider how she was going to sort out the situation. It seems that through her connection to the street, and uh, when I say that, what I mean by that is, is that she's known as Rahab the harlot, all right, which obviously has suggestive connotations to it. So, so she's not some high-flying official. We, 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 we understand that. Now she's heard that the, men's, the king's men are coming and she, she's come up with a solution. She's come up with a solution on, on the hoof. She, it's not perfect, but it certainly works out in this scenario. Now, I also find it interesting to note that although Rahab is, is known as the prostitute of Jericho, which, again, isn't great or, or noble, it's actually very demeaning and humiliating. But I find it interesting, even within that context for Rahab, that she's speaking for the household. For, for, for a male-dominated culture in which, in which Jericho uh, uh, and the surrounding cultures are, it seems to be that she's the one making the decisions. She, she's running the household, and that's, that's unusual. We need to just clock that in our thinking. Because the other family members or the other people that are living in that house, they, they must have been on the deception, mustn't they? I mean, you can't let two men you know, wander around the house without the other family members knowing about it can yes quite be quite hard but they were happy to let Rahab risk their lives for two men they didn't know and later on in this passage we discover that those men actually terrify them So, so Rahab is is a strong woman I think that's what it tells us about her character she she's not some shrinking violet is she she, she's not prepared just to go with the status quo, but there's something about her that should tell us she's not one to fear change. Also, it could be suggested that Rahab had another business going, not just the one that she's famous for. The passage in Scripture tells us that she hid the spies under bundles of what? Bundles of, of flax, uh, which is it's like a plant that they used in those days to make linen. What did her household have this on their roof why did they have flax on their roof if possibly they weren't using it in some kind of business do you know what I mean so Rahab it seems to me is more and more like a leader is more like a visionary and less of a woman trapped in a system of repression and patriarchy doing what she can when the opportunity arises doesn't Rahab begin to sound like an awesome woman to you Let's read on. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And and we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts are melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and to my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered you will let me live along with my father and my mother my brothers and my sisters and all their families. Let's stop there. I mentioned that she appears like she isn't some kind of shrinking violet, is she? And and this little exchange is a case in point. So ever think about what we've just read? Notice again that that she is the one that's initiating the conversation. She's the one that's that's starting this little little negotiation. It's Rahab who's demand, demanding, actually, that these men strike a deal with her. These men who they're terrified of, who they're melting with fear, she's stepping up and actually beginning to negotiate with these guys. It's Rahab who's demanding they strike a deal with her. So, so in a night job, right? let's call it night job just to be polite, right, she's dealing with men in all sorts of different ways. But I wonder who's really in control of those situations. To most men, she must be seen as a commodity, something to to be used. But despite this, and it appears to me that she doesn't let her circumstances dictate the type of person she might be, but she dictates to her circumstances. And she has, through that then, a a modicum of control. So we've got this bold woman, haven't we? We've got she's speaking to the spies. She's demanding a deal. And these men, like I say, who, who they've all admitted they're all afraid of, and not just afraid of, but terrified of, so it's a number of steps beyond. The spies' reputation has gone before them. She knows who she's dealing with. Yet she works through the fear. She works through the fear to grab the opportunity presented to her and uses her initiative. To, to work out a way of saving herself and those that she cares about. I'm loving Rahab more and more as I read this. And what do they say? What are these brave men, All right? These, these spies are going into a city full of soldiers who want to kill them. How did they respond to this audacious initiative shown by Rahab? Well, they say this from verse 14 We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. The men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us this land. And then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, find that interesting, not going to explore it today, but the walls of Jericho are supposed to come down, but her house is built into the wall. That's something maybe for you to go home and have a little look at. Anyway, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then, when they have returned, you can go on your way. So, again, what does she do? What do they do? They grant her the deal that she's asked for, don't they? There's no negotiation back. There's, there's no quibbling. There's, she helps them escape. It tells us, and then she gives, she gives them instructions on what to do next. These spies. These soldiers, these professionals in what they do, this woman tells them where they should go and how long they should wait. Is she not inspiring to you? You can answer that question, it's not rhetorical. Is she inspiring to you? I think she's amazing. And I think she's someone to be honoured and admired. Let's just finish this off. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. They're her instructions, by the way, just to remind you, not theirs. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope. Okay, this is their part of it now. This scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street, they are killed and it won't be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. So I think as I just alluded to then, the men, they finally start to push back on, on this deal. And they're using the, the, the rope that she says she's going to hang down. Uh, uh, but they want her to, they want to still be fair with her, don't they? They're, they're not trying to change the deal. They're just pushing back and go, well, let's be fair. And, and it seems then at this, at this point, they're treating her as what? They're treating her as an equal partner in, in this discussion. They're treating her with respect this prostitute, this harlot. Something has happened in this exchange that they're now treating her as an equal partner. And she says in verse 21, I accept your terms. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. So as a final note in this story, I want to just point out that rope because that's important. It says that it's scarlet in colour, doesn't it? And scarlet... A scarlet rope or a scarlet, uh, um, uh, there's another way of saying it, a scarlet something or other that I can't remember now, um, a thread, a scarlet thread. It, it's, it's significant in the Old Testament. You find it in a number of, a number of places. Could it be that, as some biblical commentators suggest, that the scarlet rope or the thread represents the shedding of the blood of Jesus by his death on the cross? It's important to note that the Hebrew word used for rope in this particular bit of scripture is tikvah, which also means hope. I love it the way scripture just starts to knit itself together and we can join the dots and we can see what's happening. Rahab released the scarlet rope from her window, which would be a hope for her and her family's future salvation. Rahab changes the nation because of the initiative she had to take the opportunity when it presented itself but ultimately Rahab lived and found her future and this is astonishing if you haven't clicked it by now wound up in the lineage of Christ himself this woman who survived by degrading herself for others pleasure is now a woman who we can honor for all eternity isn't that isn't that amazing I'll finish it off. It says here, The spies went up to the hill country and stayed there for three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but finally they returned without success. Then when the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the river Jordan, and point, uh, reported to Joshua all that happened to them, the Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for the people in the land are terrified us. This is a story that, that we should take encouragement from. It shows the power Of taking initiative and grabbing opportunity. Rahab didn't know how it was all gonna turn out, but what did she do? She took a risk, didn't she? She took a risk and she went for it, and it worked out. Now, someone in more recent times took the initiative and changed the Christian landscape of Britain. When I say recent, I mean the 18th century. Um, His name, his name was John Wesley. Mr. Wesley took the initiative by making open-air preaching uh, a thing again, and by helping bring those who would never or indeed felt they couldn't step foot inside a church building. He took the initiative whilst being part of the Anglican church by essentially creating a ministry within it that focused on discipleship and, and, and deep, sound biblical teaching. Again, taking it to the masses and not just expecting them to come. Small Christian groups developed and and ultimately became the basis for what? Became the basis for Methodism and and the Methodist church, which Wesley actually always insisted that that was going to be part of the Church of England tradition. He never wanted it to be a separate thing. But Methodists led the way under Wesley on so many social issues like like prison reform uh, and the abolition of slavery. And all this because someone took the initiative to step out. to to be purposely missional and to preach to those who otherwise might not hear the message that they so desperately needed to hear and to respond to. (laughs) And Wesley kept on taking the initiative for the rest of his life. It's said of him that he travelled over 250,000 miles on horseback, averaging 20 miles a day for 40 years preached over 4,000 sermons, produced 400 books and knew 10 languages. At 83, he was annoyed that he couldn't write more than 15 hours a day without his eyes hurting. And at 86, he was ashamed that he couldn't preach more than twice a day. And he complained in his diary, apparently, that there was an increasing tendency to lie in bed until 5.30 in the morning. Now, Okay, there could be some exaggeration because the source of that information, it's not really clear. I couldn't get an exact um, uh, citation for it. But, but, but it's, it's based on something, isn't it? It's based on something amazing. And John Wesley was indeed an amazing man. It's obvious that he dedicated his life to sharing the good news of Jesus in a, a tangible and practical way. And, and, and it, it changed our nation. In a BBC poll of the 100 greatest Britons, he was placed at number fifty. That's pretty, think about how old our nation is and how many great people have come from it. To be placed 50s, I still think it's pretty cool. John Wesley, in other words, knew his calling and he took the initiative. And, and there are many more contemporary Christians who have listened to God, took a risk, used their initiative and have impacted the church and society in, in a wonderful way. Let me list some of them for you. John Kirkby took the initiative in creating something that now helps thousands of people every year across the world become free of debt by starting Christians Against Poverty. Incidentally, this was founded in Yorkshire in 1996 in Bradford. You can still go You can visit the offices if you want. Apparently, they ring a bell when somebody comes to salvation just through relationship and through helping them out of debt. There's a bell in the office that they ring. So I've heard. I haven't seen it myself. The Alpha Course since its humble beginnings in 1971, has literally helped millions to faith in Christ. And, and although we honour those who came before him, Nicky Gumbel was the one who really grabbed the initiative. After Sandy Miller uh, down in London, the Holy Trinity Brompton in 1990, he, he, he told him to kind of oversee that and he grew the course into the faith-based juggernaut. Has everybody heard of the Alpha course? Yeah, yeah. The Trustful Trust, or Trust organisation... Is another one. It's a charity based firmly on Christian principles. And that trust began its work helping the homeless children of Bulgaria uh, find a safe place to sleep. And soon after, Carol and Paddy Henderson, who founded the trust, and they named it after Carol's mother, I believe, that was her surname, um, took the initiative and, and brought the principles of the trust to the UK. And began to work out of their back garden shed, helping to store food and deliver food to those in need. And thus, what was born? Food Bank was born. In war-torn Korea, in 1952, God moved the heart of Everett Swanson to take the initiative to help the orphans of that country. So the seed of what would become the organisation Compassion, you all heard of Compassion, some of you sponsor kids through Compassion, that was born. An organization which, over time, has helped at least 1.8 million children from 25 different countries have a future filled with hope, which has helped them to help their families, their communities, and indeed, to some, their nation. There are so many, many more people we could mention over so many different ministries, organisations big and organisations small, some not even well-known, just just getting on and doing their thing, going about their business, going about doing God's work, after taking the initiative to do what they felt they were called to do. It's worth saying probably at this point, as a Christian, without the prompting and the assurance of the Holy Spirit, sometimes our initiative might take us off on a path that isn't so good for us so as I said right at the beginning we listen to God and we listen for his wisdom and his advice it's because, because when, when we take the initiative we, we do need to make sure that, that our motives line up with the values of God's word don't we? line up with, with the, the, and exhibit the fruit of the spirit because without this we might find ourselves rationalising all sorts of excuses uh, for what we're doing as someone wrote we might in quotes find ourselves running blindly into oblivion but I don't want to focus on that because there's the opposite of all that as well um, we might come up with all sorts of reasons not to take the initiative and, and, and do something. Our excuses keep, keep, keep us from giving our best. Keep us from, from, from well, we have a fear of change, actually. It keeps us in a proverbial jungle of worry and despair. And I want to say to you that if you're ever... You have a feeling like that. You have a, you want to do it, but just this little voice just keeps saying no, you can't. You're not good enough. Let me give you um, some encouragement from Scripture in Ephesians five and, and uh, verse eight and verse fourteen. Verse eight says, "Your mission is to live as children, flooded with His revelation light, and the supernatural fruits of, of His light will be seen in you: goodness, righteousness, and truth." And then the, the next verse says, "Arise, you sleeper." Rise up from your coffin, and the anointed one will shine his light into you. I want to leave you with some questions. The questions are actually on your sheet as well, so you can take away and ponder them at home. Uh, to, to, I want to help you process how, how are you to handle, to, so, to become someone who, who takes the initiative. So the, one of the questions is, how do I exhibit initiative in my daily life? How do I exhibit initiative in my daily life? What can I do to develop a better attitude of taking the lead with initiative? What blocks initiative from working and being exhibited within me? And, and finally, how can I learn to still take the initiative, function better, stronger and faster, even, even when we're going through times of uncertainty and stress? When we develop a character that can, can take initiative, it helps us power through setbacks, failures, adversities, persecution, opposition, injustice, ingratitude, and get over the famous excuse that is, we've never done it this way. It's worth noting that we don't need to be a leader to use our initiative either. And in fact, as someone who's generally leading, I'm generally leading an activity or a strategy, there's actually nothing more fulfilling and in fact, just makes my heart fly when, when a volunteer or indeed an employee takes the initiative in presenting an idea and then goes on to work out that idea. I, I've, it's, it's, it's all those who are in kind of leadership at work or whatever, it's brilliant, isn't it? When somebody suggests something that, that could work and then just give them the freedom to, to see how far they can fly. I, I love that. So we don't always need to be a leader though. That's the other thing. It's about as much motivating yourself to grasp what God has in store for you. It's it's the moving of yourself. It's using your ingenuity to serve. We ultimately can't make a stand for him or, or move for him if we don't rise up and get up off the sofa. Making a move and getting on with the life that Christ has given us. So here's, here's one final big question. It's the one at the front of your sheet at the top. What is it that God has spoken to you about being or doing in this present season where you need to take a step out in faith and, and take the initiative so that you can bring glory to God and make his, his, name, his name known? I want, you to, I want us to take some, some minutes to consider that question. Okay, so if it's okay, could you close your eyes, and 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 just just think on that. I'll, re- I'll repeat. It. It's important you don't feel guilty as you're thinking about that. Like you, maybe if God's been asking you to do something for a long time, and you've just been making excuse up after excuse up. There's no there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Just just, just set today as your new baseline. As, okay, from from now. So whatever it is, just submit it back to God right now and just just say, I'm ready now, God. I'm ready to take the initiative, to to grab it, to run, to take a risk. Maybe it's something that that when you come back from the summer, when the summer's kind of coming to an end and and September, which always feels like a new season, maybe, maybe that's the time to begin. Maybe throughout summer, you're just giving it back to God, praying to God, writing stuff down, strategizing. Father, I thank you for The story of Rahab. And that, Father, it wasn't just a story, but it's history, Father. Of an amazing woman. Someone who just shouldn't have been the kind of person that she is because of what she was doing. But, Father, you you gave her the courage to step out and, and move on. Father, I pray right now for every single person here whose eyes are closed and heads bowed, Father. I pray for us that, that you, you help us work through what it is that you're calling us to do, Father. And to help us overcome those, those mental fights that it, you know, where we say it's not possible or, or, it's not, or, or, or I don't see how that can be done. But Father, just give us a positive mental attitude to be able to move forward in those dreams and those visions, Lord by your Holy Spirit, giving us boldness, giving us courage. Father, on behalf of the people here, I submit every plan, every thought, every idea to you. And just ask God that you partner with us then in that. In Jesus' name, Amen. We are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone and we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we love.